Welcome to The Site of the Crime, your weekly Florida and federal criminal case law update podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Lesnetsky of Lesnetsky Guy and Law, and each week I'm going to release one episode reviewing the previous week's decisions coming out of the six Florida District Courts of Appeal and the Florida Supreme Court, and one episode reviewing the previous week's 11th Circuit Court of Appeals and U.S. Supreme Court decisions. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of The Site of the Crime. Welcome to the set of the crime. I want to wish everybody a happy new year. Uh, we took a little bit of time off uh, during the holiday season and didn't release a few episodes, but to be quite honest, there wasn't a whole lot of meat on the bone uh, during those few weeks. But we're coming back uh, hitting hard and we are welcoming a brand new District Court of Appeals. So there is a new sixth District Court of Appeals, which consists of the 9th, 10th, and 20th Judicial Circuits. And the 4th Judicial Circuit, Duval, Clay, and Nassau, is moving from the 1st DCA to the 5th DCA. So some major moves to start off the new year uh, in the appellate court arena in the state of Florida. And my firm, too, uh, has undergone some major changes as well. We're now uh, known as Lesnetsky Guyon Law, with offices in Jacksonville and Orlando, and we're practicing criminal defense and immigration. Uh, so if you have any uh, immigration questions related to the practice of criminal defense, or as we like to call it, crimigration, don't hesitate to reach out and, and, uh, and bend my ear. Um, and this uh, transition has taken up a good deal of my time, so I apologize for the lapse in episodes over that holiday season. Um, but again, you didn't miss much. There were, weren't really uh, any uh, big decisions that came out and very few um, that were not PCAs. So the courts are now starting to gear back up and uh, let's get started with last week's decisions. And true to point, there were only four substantive decisions that came out, only one in the first DCA and uh, the rest were the second DCA. And the 6DCA so far has not released any uh, opinions other than um, they've just released a few PCAs. Uh, so no substantive opinions coming out of the 6th yet. So our first case today that I want to talk about is Washington v. State. This is a Florida 1st DCA case that was released January 11, 2023. And Washington is a it's-not-my-job-it's-your-job case. Uh, case out of Escambia County. Section 27.51 subsection 4 designates that certain public defenders handle all appeals within a specified appellate district. So for example, like in this case, the public defender's office in Pensacola handles the appeals for the public defender's office in Tallahassee. So a power struggle started to uh, appear in a lot of these cases, and the appellate courts are, are dealing with this now, where a private attorney is on a case, and the client is going to want to appeal, and then the private attorney moves to, to withdraw on that case, and the trial court grants that motion to withdraw before the private attorney completes the required tasks in section 9.140 subsection D1, which includes things like filing the notice to, of appeal, uh, filing a statement of judicial acts to be reviewed, uh, directions to the clerk, designations to the court reporter, things like that. So once the private attorney withdraws, the public defender from that area is appointed, 
And that public defender then files a designation of the specified appellate public defender, but doesn't complete the section 9.140 subsection D1 tasks. So who has to complete those tasks? So for example, in this case, a private attorney moved to withdraw on the case. The judge granted it. The Pensacola public defender then filed the designation of the Tallahassee public defender. And the Tallahassee public defender said, whoa, not so fast, my friend. The Tallahassee public defender filed the motion to refuse the designation, arguing that no trial transcripts had been designated. Basically, that's your job, Pensacola public defender, not mine. So it was up to the first DCA to resolve this squabble. And basically, the first DCA said, hey, look, the trial court shouldn't have allowed the private attorney to withdraw until he or she completed the section 9.140 subsection D1 task, because the rule states that an attorney should not be allowed to withdraw until those tasks are completed, except on good cause shown on written motion, which wasn't shown here. That being said, a motion to refuse designation is not the proper vehicle according to the first DCA. Instead, the public defenders must work it out amongst themselves. And although the court stated that this was not a matter of concern for the court, it then directed the trial court to oversee that the Pensacola public defender file a statement of judicial acts to order and file the transcripts and for the trial court to oversee any other ancillary matters related to this. So next time you move to withdraw from a case where the client is going to appeal, do your hardworking, underappreciated public defender brothers and sisters a solid and complete the section 9.140 subsection D1 tasks before moving to withdraw. Here, the filings were stricken. All right, a second case today is Evans v. State. This is a Florida 2nd DCA case that was released January 13th, 2023. And Evans is a waiver of a jury trial case out of Pasco County. Mr. Evans was charged with criminal mischief and possession of less than 20 grams of marijuana. And he proceeded to have a bench trial and was uh, ultimately found guilty by the trial judge. The problem was that the record did not show that Mr. Evans waived his right to a jury trial. The record also didn't show that the trial court made a specific independent finding that he was competent. So we'll start with the waiver of the bench trial and Florida Rule of Criminal Procedure 3.260 states that a defendant may, in writing, waive a jury trial with the consent of the state. So the operative word there is may and it's permissive. So a defendant is permitted to waive the right to a jury trial. But is that written waiver required? And the answer to that question is no. There does not have to be a written waiver. But under Johnson v. State, a 2008 Florida Supreme Court case, a defendant must either enter a written waiver or give an oral waiver after a proper colloquy with a trial judge. Here, there's no indication on the record that there was either a written waiver or an oral waiver after a proper colloquy. So the court reversed, and presumably Mr. Evans would be entitled to a new trial. Apparently, there was also some indication that Mr. Evans may have been incompetent to proceed because the trial court ordered a competency evaluation. 
But there also was nothing in the record to indicate that the judge made an independent determination of competency. And we say this all the time in these appellate decisions. There's a competency evaluation from an expert that finds a defendant competent, but the judge never makes a specific finding that the court finds that the defendant is competent. The judge seems to just rely on that report from the expert. Rule 3.210 subsection B requires that when there are reasonable grounds to believe that the defendant is not mentally competent, the court shall immediately schedule a hearing on competency. So a hearing must be conducted and the trial court must make its own independent finding of competence or incompetence. It is not sufficient to simply enter a competency evaluation into the record along with stipulations from the defense and the state. The court must make its own finding on the record. But where the trial court simply failed to conduct a hearing and make a determination, the proper remedy is to remand for a retroactive determination. So if on remand the trial court holds a hearing and determines that the defendant was competent at the time, then the defendant would not be entitled to a new trial or any other remedy based on this error. Case reversed and remanded. Our third case today is Gibson Capo v. State. This is a Florida 2nd DCA case that was released January 13th, 2023. And Gibson Capo is an Anders brief case out of Manatee County. And for those of you that don't know, an Anders brief is an appellate brief filed by an attorney where that attorney believes the appeal is frivolous and the attorney wants to withdraw, but the client wants them to file the appeal anyway. And the appellate court then determines whether the attorney is correct or whether there are actual viable issues. And here the second DCA agreed for the most part, but actually reversed the decision on a restitution issue. At the trial level, the trial court ordered Miss Gibson Capo to pay $438 in restitution. But she was unemployed, and so she asked the trial judge for a payment plan. The trial judge then told her to make arrangements with the probation department. This effectively delegated the decision on whether to offer a payment plan and under what terms to the probation department. You can't do that. Setting a restitution payment schedule is a non-delegable judicial task. And the second DCA went on for quite a while in this decision with string citations from the first DCA, the second DCA, and the fifth DCA supporting this proposition. So the court remanded to the trial court to determine whether a payment schedule is warranted, and if so, what that payment schedule should be. So basically, the trial judge has to decide whether there should be a payment schedule and what it should be, and the judge cannot delegate that responsibility to the probation office. So case affirmed in part, reversed in part, and remanded with directions. Alright, our fourth and final case today is Mercado v. State. This is a second DCA case that was released January 13th, 2023. And Mercado is a case about permissible factors at sentencing, and it is out of Pasco County. And quite frankly, this is a case where you think to yourself, what are we doing here? Mr. Mercado's ex-girlfriend obtained an injunction for protection against him. And he was subsequently charged in five separate cases with charges 
all relating to his interaction with that former girlfriend, which included several violations of injunction. Mr. Mercado pled guilty to each case, and he was scheduled for a later sentencing hearing. At that sentencing hearing, Mr. Mercado, presumably going rogue against his lawyer's advice, at least I hope so, blamed the victim and offered no mitigation at sentencing. I'm envisioning the attorney standing there just kind of shaking his or her head as the client says all the things that the attorney told the client not to say. But I digress. The state, meanwhile, presented text messages where Mr. Mercado threatened to shoot and kill the former girlfriend's father and testimony that the former girlfriend's new boyfriend's house had been shot up. But at the time of sentencing, Mr. Mercado had not been charged with the shooting and it was uncharged, simply alleged post-plea conduct. So the trial court sentenced Mr. Mercado uh, at the sentencing hearing to concurrent one-year probationary terms, so no jail time. But inexplicably, despite the non-jail sentence and the fact that the state asked for a year in jail followed by consecutive probationary terms, Mr. Mercado appealed, arguing that the trial court improperly considered the shooting evidence, which was alleged post-plea misconduct. So on appeal, he's right. If the trial court uh, considered the shooting evidence, it would be error. And the second DCA acknowledged that. The second DCA acknowledged that a trial court cannot consider alleged post-plea conduct in making a sentencing determination. But the court found that the record did not establish that the trial court actually did consider the post-plea shooting. The trial court did not explicitly or implicitly intimate that the shooting affected its decision one way or another. And oh, by the way, Mr. Mercado requested probation, and that's exactly what he got. So even if the trial court did err in considering the uncharged shooting, the second DCA determined that it would have been harmless error based on the low sentence imposed. So, case affirmed. And that's a wrap. I'm your host, Jeremy Lesnetsky with Lesnetsky Guy on Law, and this was another episode of the Site of the Crime podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the like button. And if you'd like to keep up to date on all the latest criminal law cases, subscribe to the site of the crime. And if you like the show, please review us. This will help your colleagues find us, and they too can stay up to date. Each week, we'll release separate Florida and federal criminal law episodes with the previous week's court opinions. Look in the show notes for links to each case and for a link to the written case summaries. If you have questions or comments, please don't hesitate to shoot me an email at jeremy at lglawflorida.com. See you next time at the site of the crime.